All right, let's go to John chapter 10. I'll start reading in verse 11. There it is. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. These are the red letters. These are the words of Jesus, the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. So many thoughts come to my mind when I, when I hear this, this whole idea of, of Jesus being the good shepherd. It's, this, it's how he is fulfilling in so many different ways. All of these past statements in the Bible about, about the shepherd. And, and, and even, even I think of David, you know, the shepherd king. And now we have Jesus, the king. Um, he's, he's kind of describing himself as, as a shepherd. And we see this whole idea of God just calling his people. He's shepherding his people. He's leading them. He's guiding them. He's, he's bringing them, gathering them. He wants to heal them, the things that, that a good shepherd will do. And it said in Ezekiel last week, remember, that God will shepherd his flock with justice. But in my mind, as I go through the week, I have to ask the question like, why a shepherd? I mean, why would God, why would Jesus, why would he compare himself to a shepherd? Now, I guess, I guess in the Old Testament, there were some big heavy hitters that, were, that would be considered shepherd. Abraham was, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, he did some shepherding for a while. We have David. David was the shepherd king. In fact, he would pen one of the most recited psalms ever. And it would start with, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. And then he just goes into how he describes the whole relationship between a shepherd and a sheep and, and everybody. It doesn't even matter if you've, if you've gone to church, darkened the doorway once. People know that psalm. And so we have this whole theme of, of shepherd moving through the, the, the Bible. Now, shepherding, even in the Old Testament, wasn't high on the... Um, it wasn't high on the trades you wanted to go into, okay? Uh, Old Testament, we see that the Egyptians despised shepherds. They thought shepherds were, were disgusting. And maybe, and maybe this whole idea why Jesse didn't even call David in from the field when Samuel came to look for the king, because, because shepherd, being a shepherd was just really low, low on the totem pole. And by the time Jesus' day comes in, shepherds, they did not have a good reputation at all, especially the hired hand. See, See, a father, um, a father would not even train his own kids, train his own sons, train his own daughters. Many of the Bedouin shepherds that you see in, in that area in the Middle East, they're, they're, little, they're young girls. They, they wouldn't even train their own family to be a shepherd because it's just, it's way low on the totem pole. You don't want your kid to be a shepherd. And so because of that whole idea... Uh, this practice started to come into play where if you had enough money and you had enough sheep, now the average family uh, during this time, Jesus' day, had about 8 to 12 different animals that they had as a family for milk and wool and all the other things. Um, but if you, if you had enough money and a big enough flock, you did not want to train your son to be a shepherd because that was just wrong. And so you would hire people 
to shepherd your sheep. You would hire people to take your sheep out to pasture and make sure that they were cared for, make sure they were safe, make sure they were well watered, make sure they were well fed. This was the tradition. Now, because that these sheep had to be pastured away from usually the farmlands because you didn't want sheep eating the crops, so they'd have to go out into the mountains, especially during the rainy season, shepherds would find themselves, these hired hand shepherds, would find themselves far, far from the owner, far away from his own land. And in part, this is where their bad reputation became, started to become um, a reality. They, would, uh, they were considered to be thieves, Because what would happen is they would be away for so long that they would start to take some of the increase of the flock. In fact, um, the rabbinic oral tradition said that, that no one, no one will buy wool, milk, or young sheep from a shepherd because it was assumed that, that it was stolen property. It was kind of like the black market for those things. You would not buy from them because it was automatically assumed that they were stealing from their owners. A shepherd couldn't hold any judicial office. A shepherd couldn't have been a witness in a court case or any type of hearing. They were in the culture. They were just low man on the totem pole. Nobody, nobody wanted their kids to be a shepherd. Nobody really wanted to be a shepherd except for those people. And so because of this, they were considered to be liars and thieves. They would live far away from people in towns. They'd make up their own rules, their own laws, and they would get away with whatever they felt like getting away with. Jesus, Jesus clearly knows the social standing of what he's talking about, of, of these shepherds. There's obvious reference to the Ezekiel passages that we looked at last week where, where God is going to be the shepherd of his people. But there's also something very cultural that Jesus is starting to press into here. Um, The contrast of the good shepherd, the one that owns the sheep, the one that's vested, and the contrast to to the hired hand or or that hired shepherd, the one that just really doesn't care at all. The, The political and religious leaders in the days of Ezekiel and the religious leaders in the days of um, Jesus both reflect the characteristics of these hired hands, these hired shepherds that the families would hire to watch over the sheep. But here's the... They only cared about themselves. They only cared about their paycheck. They only cared about making money. In fact, um, one of the... It's called the Mishnah, this Jewish text. It said that... A shepherd was really only responsible for the sheep if he did something careless, like if he drove them, led them over a mountain, or he didn't feed them, bring them to pasture, if he didn't water them, then he would be accountable. But if danger crept in, it was every man for himself or every woman for himself. And then there's the one-two wolf rule. And this is this you can't make this stuff up. If one wolf attacked the flock, the shepherd in some instances would be held accountable if he did not fight off that wolf. Two it's anybody's ball game at that point. Those are extreme circumstances, and that shepherd would not be held responsible for any of the damage that took place in the flock. And usually, at the first sign of danger, they would just run because they didn't really care. This is, this is a job for them. It's a paycheck. It's something they were hired to do, and nobody liked them anyway, so they had a chip on their shoulder to begin with. And so they would just run And being that they were so far away for long periods of time, there was absolutely no way to prove carelessness or extreme circumstances. And so shepherds got away with whatever they could get away with. 
But what we find in this text is Jesus, as he always does, he, he pushes the cultural norm a little bit. He, he pushes things and, and, and he wants to redefine things. He wants to, he wants to bring new light and new insight into the old way of, of thinking of things and the old way of, of doing things and the old way of, of re- reacting and responding to things. Jesus is going to teach and live a principle that goes way beyond the law, goes way beyond the minimum requirement of what you should do as a person. Jesus always had a really good way of fulfilling the law and not just living it. He was going to practice and he's going to teach what real caring looks like. It's not caring for people, loving people because I have to, because I I, I guess I should, or if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. It's a caring that begins, begins in the heart. It's a caring that he knew that he was loved and cared for by the Father and that, that was the impetus for him to go and love and care for his sheep. A love of people that was regardless of who they were or what they were doing. Beyond the requirements of any law. And so Jesus would lay down his life for the sheep because he, had a st- he has a stake in us. We are his creation and he would lay down his life and he continued to teach that there's no greater love than this than a man should lay down his life for his friends and to love your neighbor as you love yourself and so we get these teachings through jesus example and through his words and for most people unless unless you're just mean or a jerk we we do that i mean i think we we love people we try to do to good to do good for people to a certain extent, I think. Because, because here's the reality. As long as, as long as our love and our serving, as long as it doesn't cost us too much, we're in. We'll, 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 we'll do it. As long as it doesn't go too far, then we can see ourselves loving our neighbor, laying down our lives for our friends. Because really, we're, we're all, to some degree, kind of selfish. That's who we are as people. That's why we need Jesus. And so our love, our serving in certain areas of our lives comes out of our excess, what we have left over. We make sure that that we have what we need. And, And I don't mean like you're extravagantly living some crazy life, but you make sure you have what you need before you go and do stuff. Let me give you an example. How many here take vacations during the year? I'm sorry that the rest of you don't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Aww. And so, have you ever canceled your vacation? Have you ever downgraded your vaca- vacation very um, severely because you were just giving away so much of your resources, of your time, and of your money that you just can't do the things that you want to do. I would say really none of us do that. None of us have gone, you know what? I've just given away so much, I can't go on vacation this year. None of us have said, you know what? I, I, I've been serving the kingdom of God, and I just don't have any more time left to go on vacation or to, to take a vacation. I mean, we'll, we'll downgrade and we'll cancel vacations for other things. If you lose your job or you take a cut in, in pay or sometimes a big bill all of a sudden comes up and, and you just can't do that thing anymore. But 
but to not do something you want to do because you are giving away all that you have to the kingdom of God, that, that doesn't really take place all that often. You know what? I'm in the same boat as you guys are. I mean, I, I, I do the same things. Our love is in direct proportion to our excess, what we have left over. We serve out of the time that we have left over. We give out of the resources we have left over, or at least what we're comfortable with. And that's just, that's just who we are as people. Again, that's why we need a savior. But our giving usually will not negatively affect our lifestyle. In our society, in our culture, you will always hear this idea of, of having good boundaries. You need, you need to have healthy boundaries in place. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I have, I have boundaries in my life, you know. You have to make sure that, that, that there's, there's these good boundaries so you don't get burned out, so you can actually pay the bills. I mean, we've grown accustomed in my house to, like, electricity and food. I mean, I, mean, I get that. And so there has to be a certain boundary to how you live your life. Some have better boundaries than others. Some have healthier boundaries than others. But we all have them to some extent. But let me challenge you with something that, that, that I've been wrestling with for a few weeks now. And I, I just think I just read some little blurb in some little article somewhere, and it was just like, oh, my goodness. And now it's just come, uh, yeah, it's just come to fruition, whatever you want to word, um, with this text. I was thinking about this this week. I'm like, I'm like this, is, this is it. This is, this is it. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus will lay down his life for his sheep. Not the hired person, the one, that, the one that's in it for themselves, the one that's in it to make a paycheck, the one that's in it um, that, that really doesn't care about the, the sheep. He just cares about pretty much him or herself. But the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. It's not, about, it's not just about sacrificially dying. It's also about sacrificially living. And I find this idea throughout the entire New Testament, and even the Old Testament, to live sacrificially. Jesus was the example of that life, that he would sacrifice his own well-being in life for the good of his sheep. It's about laying your life down for your neighbor. It's about laying your life down to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus, you need to love God. And by loving God, you would love people. And by loving people, you would love God. This is about a sacrificial life. And I am just not sure that I've ever read in the Gospels that Jesus lived his life with healthy boundaries. I don't think that I've ever read where Jesus said, My twelve... You need, to be, you need to have boundaries or people are just going to take and take and take and take. I don't, I don't see that anywhere in the Gospels. Jesus didn't live within boundaries. Jesus didn't live within healthy boundaries. He lived with a healthy priority. Boundaries put up walls. Boundaries keep people out. Boundaries keep you safe and keep you in. Jesus didn't live that way. He lived with healthy priorities. But we like boundaries. I mean, don't we? I mean, we're in New England, man. We're the frozen chosen. Just, 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 you know, here's my space. Don't enter it. Here's my boundary right here. This, this is for me. 
I mean, and that's why we've invented the Christian hug, the whole boundary thing. We like boundaries. We like boundaries in our serving. We like boundaries within our families. Sometimes, you know, I'm not going over there. There's my boundary. We like boundaries even within our marriages. I mean, the more downtime I have, the better Dennis Sandy time is going to be later on. That's that's my rationale anyway. So I put, I mean, I mean, just need like some downtime. I put that boundary there to say, please take the children with you and let me rest. And so we, we, we enjoy to have these boundaries. But Jesus, he lived a sacrificial life. Not within healthy boundaries, but within healthy priorities. He would lay down his life for his people. In fact, Jesus will lay down his life for the people that hated him. Does that sound like a healthy boundary in your definition? He would, he would do life with his people, with his apostles. He would not teach them ministry in some academic way. He would not teach them community by having them read a few books. He lived ministry with them. He lived community with them. He loved people. He taught loving people by going out and loving people. You see, I think today we Christians are educated way beyond our obedience. And so Jesus was the example of healthy priorities, not not boundaries. He didn't teach have healthy boundaries. He taught live a sacrificial life within healthy priorities. See, boundaries, boundaries are reactive. You put up a boundary when you've been pushed too far. A priority, a priority is proactive. You begin to do, you begin to act. Now, I know that some of you Bible scholars right now, you're thinking, wait a minute, Dennis. Um, didn't Jesus get away for a while? You know, you like got away from the crowd. Ah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Or wait a minute. What about the woman at the well? Didn't say he was like marching along and he was tired and had to rest. I mean, isn't that kind of, he sent the boys in to get the food. Isn't that kind of like a boundary? Well, let's think about that for a second. Okay. Let's take the woman at the well story. The word tired in the Greek actually means exhausted, even to the point of burdened with grief. Do you think a healthy boundary at your job would be for you to be exhausted, even burdened with grief? I'd probably say no. But Jesus, he did get away. He did need time away from the crowds. But it wasn't to take a vacation. It wasn't to, to play some video games or, or toss back a few cold ones. I mean, I mean, those things are all okay. We need downtime. We need to rest. We need to celebrate. We need to have friends. We need to put our feet up on the coffee table and rest a little bit. I'm looking forward to going on vacation with my family this summer. We're going to go camping for an entire week. I'm looking forward to that. We need those times in our life. But what Jesus did not say is, I am done with you people. You are just pushing too much. I am giving you too much. I am putting up this wall to keep you out and to keep me safe. I need me some Jesus time. He never said that. He never lived that. But when Jesus went away to be by himself, he was never by himself. Jesus went away to be with his father. Jesus went away to pray. Jesus went away to recharge because he knew what the number one priority in his life was. And that was the relationship that he had to his father. 
And he made that the number one priority. That relationship empowered him to do everything. It wasn't boundaries that allowed him to be who he was. It was his priority. And that number one priority was his relationship with his father. And so I guess I, guess I would have to ask you guys, um, how are you doing with your priorities in life? How are you doing with prioritizing the way you live? Are you setting up just boundaries just to kind of go, too much, too far, stay away? Or are you living in priorities? And I guess if I have to ask that question, I guess I have to ask another question. How is your relationship with God? Is that your number one priority? Is that the thing that is most important in your life? Because it should be as a Jesus follower. That should be number one. If you want to spend more time with your family, make your relationship with God the number one priority. If you want a better work environment, make your relationship with God your number one priority. You want better relationships? Make your relationship with God the number one priority. You want to celebrate more? You want to serve more? You want more time? Make your relationship with God the number one priority. Because when you do that, when you do that, everything else falls nicely to place. And I know that sounds very crackerjack Christianity, but it's true. When God is the number one priority in your life, you don't need to build walls anymore. You don't need to keep people out because you are living your life by priority and not by boundaries. You are living your life intentionally and not just being pushed and pulled and shoved around and saying, no, wait, stop. No, wait, stop. This, um, this Friday night, I just, I just really want to start embracing and living this thing. And, and um, Ethan and I, we went fishing and, and canoeing on Friday night. And, uh, you know, I have my, took my phone with me, and it's in the fishing bag. And I can hear that thing ringing, like ringing and ringing. And I'm like, mm. so I take it out, and I look, and I almost was tempted to answer it. I'm like, you know what? Right now, the priority in my life is to be present with my son and give him my absolute attention. And so I put that phone away and I didn't answer it. And, and, and I was going to shut the ringer off so I wouldn't know because that would make things easy. But you know, as, as, as anything, especially say if you're working out with weights, if you lift the light weights, you don't get strong so fast. If you lift the heavy weights, you get stronger faster. I wanted to hear that phone ring so I could make a conscious decision to go, no, my priority right now is my son. And I am going to give him my fullest attention. And it helps that, you know, his line was in the tree all the time. And we had to, you know, row over there, row over there. And, you know, didn't, but, 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 but see, that's, that's what making a price. Because God calls me first to be in relationship with him. And then God has called me to be a husband to my wife and a father to my children. And then God has called me to be a pastor. Sorry, you're all third on the list, but that's what, that's what God has called me to. And if my priorities aren't set right, I am going to burn out and I'm going to need to place walls around me to keep me safe. But if I make my, prior, my relationship with God my priority, then those things just will naturally fall into place and I will begin to live intentional and I will begin to live present in the moments, in the moments that God gives us. We miss so much stuff because we're just pushed and pulled and shoved 
instead of just going, okay, what has God called me to right now? Jesus did not live with boundaries. He lived with a healthy priority. And it was that that priority, his relationship with God, that, that he operated and did everything in. And so this morning, um, we're going to celebrate communion. And, and this, the, the, the last supper, when Jesus gives communion, he was preparing us for the sacrifice that he was about to give us, his body and his blood. That's sacrificial living right there. That's a sacrificial death. That, there's no good boundary there. But it was his priority because that's what the father had asked him to do. Not only did he live for us, he would die for us. And he was able to accomplish all things the father set out for him to do because he had his priorities straight, not because he built walls around himself to keep people away. And so how is your relationship with your father? For some this morning, y'all sitting here, you need to reset your course. You need to take a look at your life and say, you know, are you building walls around yourself to keep things and people out? Or do you want to just live with the sense of God is first and let him direct and empower everything you do? For some of you, let's face it, you've been living really selfishly and you need to repent. The things that you have were given to you by the Father for the glory of him and his kingdom, not just to make you comfortable. I know that might be hard to hear, but welcome to the jungle, baby. That's what the Bible teaches us. For some of you, you're scratching your head going, what am I doing wrong? Why, isn't these, why aren't these things working out for me? Why am I just always stressed and, and all of this just seems to be falling apart? Well, let me give you maybe just a little insight. Maybe the relationship you have with God has taken the backseat and you're just filling it with all of the other stuff in life ahead of it. When we put God first, the spirit of God will fill you and you will begin to live your life by walking in the spirit and not in your flesh, not just in the earthly desires that you have. Maybe you're wondering, man, why, why don't I have any happiness in life? You know what? Things are just really bad right now and just, oh. Well, maybe it's because God's not interested in your happiness, not one bit. Happiness is circumstantial, and so it will go up and down. What God wants for you is joy, and joy is not dependent on any of your circumstances. And the only way you will find joy in your life is when you make that relationship with him your number one priority. How are you seeking God? I'm calling for us this morning to repent of all of the stupid things that we have put first and to begin to repent for all of, all of the walls we have put up around us to keep us safe, to keep them out and to reprioritize your life. Because when that happens, again, I can't stress this enough, those things will fall into place. You will not have a problem saying no. And it's not no because, because well, you know, that, that's just way too much for me. It's no because, 
You are engaged in what God has called you to right here. And there's a beautiful thing about being engaged in the things that God has called you to. It's not easy. You might sweat. It might be hard. But there's, there's a beautiful thing about being engaged in the things that God has called you to. How are your priorities? What if, what if we lived life without boundaries? We just lived life with our priorities. I would have to be saying no to you for outside the walls things because we just wouldn't have the resources to do it. I'm convinced of that. And so I'm asking you this morning to begin that dialogue with God to repent. Rep- you know, repentance sounds like this really bad, churchy, yucky word. You know, oh, I have to repent. Who does he think he is calling me to repent? You know what repent means? It means to turn away from the dumb stuff and follow Christ. That's all it really means. That's all that God wants. You know what? God says, you're going, I mean, there, there's, there's like a wide path to go down, and then there's a narrow path. Repentance goes, wide path, mm-mm, I'm going to go down the narrow path. And you walk down that way. That's, that's what it is. And so this morning as we begin to celebrate communion, the sacrifice that, that Jesus made at this table, when we begin to celebrate it, maybe, maybe you need to take a minute or two to, to just, just, just say, God, where am I going wrong? Where am I missing it? And then, then come up here to the table, take, take the cup and take the bread, and um, we'll take communion together. And then in response to this, we'll spend some time in worship.